great introduction you've heard a little bit about my life some things that I've done some things that I haven't done (laughs) some things that I might have liked to have done perhaps if I'd thought of them (laughs) or not (laughs) Um, quite quite on Uh, I left Spokane about 30 years ago uh, as a what I would call a like a, a kind of raging teenager, mm-hmm. <laughs> dark and destroyed. <laughs> uh, mm, and traveled really, really widely, you know, uh, around the world, um, to to Europe, to India, to East Asia, as far north as into Mongolia, uh, through China at the time when people were still wearing gray and there was no McDonald's. Uh, before the first McDonald's in Beijing, the banner was there, but it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> and Buddhist monks had to be secret. You had to go in disguise. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> um, as well as to Southeast Asia. Um, India. Mm. And uh, with all of this uh, like pent-up emotional energy in me, then uh, I had this penchant for what might be called kind of strong practices or ascetical practices. Like I like to climb high mountains and bow hundreds of thousands of times and like to, you know, to, to only sit in practice and not to lie down and to go on walking pilgrimages, sleeping under the trees and, and these, kinds of, um, these kinds of really strong uh, kinds of things. Uh, you know, trying to, oh, trying to get down to what was going on with this life and this this body and mind, and uh, thinking that if I could just do it harder, uh, <laughs> or or more or better somehow or more austerely or uh, in more in more dramatic ways, that that would be able to get through it. And um, you know, sometimes it can seem like that works a little. Uh, like just enough to kind of perpetuate the idea or to to feed the idea. But I really want to appreciate um, what Mary was saying when she was guiding the meditation uh, just in the beginning, what what Mary Webster was saying. Not my friend who shares in my hairdo, although different outfit. (laughs) We have more than one Mary here. (laughs) Um, So uh, what she was mentioning about the... uh, like the receptivity 
uh, the permission to uh, you know be with our own body and mind as it actually is exactly as it actually is without trying to make it make it be anything else or even wish that it be anything else, but coming to the place of being able to relax and, and give oneself permission to, to know oneself, one's own body and mind and feelings, and um, uh, and to, to learn and to grow from that. And, uh, you know, I'd say after all of all of this stuff uh, of the, like the past 25 years, uh, in uh, near 25 years in monastic life, I find that so much of it, you know, that's nice and it makes a nice a nice kind of st- snapshot and interesting story. But I find really like the real work in the very simple work of being present with oneself uh, as we as we actually are and allowing ourselves to know that and to get to know it really well. And uh, allowing the the act of knowing, and uh, the knowing of that knowing, uh, to to transform us, and watching watching that happen, not making it happen, but but watching it happen. And uh, I find this the the real like the real austerity, you know, to be patient and to be radical and to be dedicated and to have enough heart and enough strength of intention to be able to actually show up with ourselves uh, consistently again and again in this kind of way. Like the weather, you know, whether it's gray or whether it's sunny or whether it's hailing or whether it's light sprinkles or, you know, whatever, and whether the rainbows are there or not and, and, and all of this and to really, uh, to really be there uh, with the things just as they are, and what that enables then for our ability to be together with others, uh, to know others, uh, whether it's our natural surroundings uh, or it's sitting at a stoplight with uh, the cars around us, uh, or you know whether it's trees and. Uh, mm, Robin's getting drunk on berries, <laughs> like at Sarah's home this morning, crashing into the windows, and <laughs> all these partying Robins outside the house this morning. You know, just, just as is, just as is, and like bringing love, love and care and attention to that, um, as as it is, and uh, the the love and the care and the attention, especially the thing that I found particularly amazing and profound amidst all of these, um, like sometimes they talk about like in Tibetan Buddhism secret teachings and esoteric teachings and, and these kinds of things. And what I find to be like the, the real amazing uh, esoteric thing is that uh, this act of awareness, that the awareness changes the ignorance because when the awareness is brought to the things, it's not ignorance anymore. And when the underlying ignorance changes and isn't there in the same way, all the things that arise out of it and are fed by it and are supported by it also all shift and change without exception. So, you know, as a young person, I had a lot of uh, a lot of angst about things in the world. 
relationships to the people around me, uh, news of, you know, nuclear armament and, uh, or, uh, you know, people killing each other, those starving in different parts of the world, uh, stuff going on with U.S. politics and, and all of these things, and, um, you know, even just on the local level. Uh, quite a lot of angst and uh, dismay and despair about that. And uh, there were some years when I uh, focused or, or made a focus of looking at the things that I thought were negative and then looking at or trying to look at what they're made of. You know, what causes that? What's what's happening there? What causes that? And uh, even... Even as a young teenager here, pretty fast we could tell you ignorance. <laughs> it's ignorance. They're so ignorant. <laughs> You're so ignorant. <laughs> I'm so ignorant. Oh my God, <laughs> why am I so ignorant? Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, we had that idea, but really, really looking at it and really uh, in- investigating that and seeing, you know, what is this made of? What's, what's it coming from? You know, going down through the levels of it is different. Uh, it's different than just having an idea and spitting it out of your mouth really fast in that kind of way and, and you know, being smart with each other. Uh, it's different. And uh, so I spent some time looking at things like fear, for example. You know, getting to know the fear and looking at it. What's that made of? Where is it coming from? What's feeding it? You know, or craving, you know. No, big, <laughs> big one. What is that? Or irritation, aggravation, angst. Uh, not to mention hating things. You really don't like that. Hate that. Just hate that. And, you know, why? Why do we? Why do we hate things? How is it that we get to hating people and dynamics and and these things and looking? What's underlying that? And. You don't have to believe it, but for me, just in my own investigation, then I kept coming across the, the ignorance, a misapprehension, a misunderstanding. Even in personal relationships, I had it happen a bunch of times that it's like there was something that was on one side or another or both, misapprehended, misunderstood. And when I found out what, what was, quote-unquote, really going on, there was an, oh, oh. You know, that's what it was. And and how did that work? That finding out what actually happened and understanding, understanding rather than misunderstanding, arising in the mind that that, that, that transformed the whole situation. And then I felt this release, this unbinding, this relaxing, letting go. Oh, I can breathe again down into my belly. And, and then the love was free to flow again. And so how did that, how did that work? Just... Understanding, seeing and knowing and understanding coming in and countering misunderstanding and um, the ignorance in it. You know, got it, got it wrong, didn't see it fully, didn't see it wholly, didn't actually really know what was going on. Even, now I've been to a few prisons now, as this is uh, something that like, people like to invite monastics to prison. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like <laughs> um, so, and and wonderful. We have the you know all these wonderful Buddhist prison chaplaincy programs in in various places around, and I, I think this is something that Dory does. This goes to the Airway Heights Correctional Center and um, you know, sharing dhamma, sharing mindfulness there, and I'm so glad that she does that. 
so rather than getting wanting to get away from the bad places and be you know far done and rid of them then uh, with this kind of mind and you know with uh, with a, a fear maybe even a little bit attenuated then possible to you know possible to go into the fire possible to go into the midst both internally and and externally same kinds of things you know just the internal manifestation and it, certainly I've got that prison inside myself to you I certainly has got guards and it has weapons and it has <laughs> it can do lockdown you know and punishment solitary confinement can do all of it <laughs> definitely <laughs> we can do so uh, and I bet every single one of you also it's part of our human capacity there are so many things that we can do we can we can be prison wardens <laughs> we can be prison inmates and uh, and we can also be be the opposite we can be the curators of, uh, you know, beautiful and and lovely spaces in our bodies and minds, uh, like this space that we co-created together uh, here this evening. Each of us experienced it differently. Some of us, I don't know if anyone was acting prison warden or not, um, or or what role we might have been playing in ourselves, what space our body and mind was, how how we created it. Or, or what, what pattern has its intensity that's, that's, that's turned on, and even we didn't mean to create it as soon as we sat down and closed our eyes, it, it came up, or within one minute it came up, or two minutes, or five minutes, it turned on and, and came up, and we got to see and, and know that. Yeah? So I find this uh, being able to see and know it and be with it, uh, knowing, knowing ourself uh, with this kind of open awareness, allowing ourselves the full permission to do that, to, to open up the cell, open up the door, allow to come out into the sunshine, uh, give parole, uh, allow for real, re- real rehabilitation. I'm not sure I heard our prison systems are supposed to have rehabilitation, or some of them have just flat out given up on it, um, because for what for whatever reason but uh, you know for ourselves we can we can allow that we can do that you know, who's stopping us no one no one's stopping us transform the ground make it into something else uh, we have that ability with our mind all mind created so much appreciation to Mary for uh, for these words in the beginning, because I was thinking, after going, you know, around the world, <laughs> practically every area. I haven't been to the North Pole or Antarctica, <laughs> this kind of thing. Uh, but um, you know, really far. Uh, that's what I come back to, and you have that. You have that right here. Um, this that is uh, like after all that you come back to and find this is most excellent this is most amazing this is most precious so I would like to give you a chance for any questions that you might have you heard this kind of uh, uh, radical bio from uh, <laughs> from Sarah uh, and uh, there's what I've been saying now or there, there might be uh, other things that you have on your mind that you might like to ask and uh, I would like to open up to your to your doing that because uh, I really respect questions. 
one of the things that I found difficult as a young person with an inquiring mind uh, in my younger years, uh, being brought to places of uh, various religious places, uh, was the difficulty in questioning. A good number of the places that I was brought, questions n not allowed, not supposed to think, uh, just to, you know, just to, you know, you're being taught here. <laughs> Listen, memorize, and uh, believe, right? And uh, I think that belief is an incredibly powerful force. Faith is an amazingly powerful force in the human life. Yeah. And yet, I also very much appreciate the inquiring mind. I appreciate the Buddha's appreciation for the inquiring mind and what he did with it and what we can do with it, especially when we apply our inquiry, when we apply our questions well. You know, a great question can be like halfway there, mm -hmm. in fact, if not all the way. So I have a lot of, lot of respect uh, for the, the great facility of questions and, and the inquiring mind. And, um, you know, I love to see things from different angles and to open up different aspects of this teaching and this practice that I haven't seen before. And I often get that from other people's questions. It's like, oh, I never thought of that. I haven't looked at this before. Hell, yeah, that's really, that's a good point, you know. Uh, and then start to open it up and look at it. And that's another, another window or another door in the psyche, in the body, in mind, that then awareness and uh, inquiry, investigation, and all these lovely qualities of the Dhamma and the practice then can come into that room, can come into that space that hadn't been seen and known before. And we become greater people. We become more, more whole ourselves when we do that, when we welcome and when we allow, when we give permission uh, for, that, for that process. So I want to extend this permission to all of you. Uh, this evening with with welcome and uh, I don't put uh, any any limit uh, on the kind of questions but I just ask you to please try to ask well yes I have a question please well the thing that impressed me when I was listening to your story yeah was that you were so young when you realized or seemed to realize your vocation hmm. I think that's unusual. That's rather singular in mm -hmm. some ways. And it occurred to me that perhaps someone who can find their vocation that soon in life may have done this before in some other life. Mm. Have you ever uh, gotten into contact at all with any of your previous incarnations? Mm. Well, I've certainly considered about it. Uh, and in my time in Asia, uh, there are a lot of people for whom uh, reincarnation is like so much a part of the culture. And so there's just a kind of an assumption that if, if you're doing this, you know, here, here's this white lady who's <laughs> together with all these Asian people. And, and there, there, was this, there was this assumption that uh, there, there must be some reason for it. Uh, and that there must be some past cause for it. So I encountered the assumption that I must have been a monastic in past lives or that I must have done some, some great merit or, you know, some people also thought that I must have done some great, great demerit, like maybe I was 
practicing together with the Buddha, but I, you know, was one of the those naughty monks that we read about in the monastic discipline, and, <laughs> and thus have been reborn countless times again. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there was one uh, one period in my monastic life, uh, probably now about uh, 15 years ago, um, in which. Uh, uh, in which I learned about lucid dreaming from a friend in uh, Tibetan Tibetan tradition uh, who had come to visit where where I was staying at that time. So I learned this method of lucid dreaming and just setting the intention to wake up in the dream and become uh, become aware in it. So I, I did according to the instructions and then started started having lucid dreams. And I didn't dream a lot, but the lucid dreams seemed to be really like one could imagine to be uh, past life stuff. And uh, dreaming lucidly like that, then there were things that made so much sense in connection to things that had happened in this life or you know, in, in living memory uh, or things that were happening. Uh, interrelationships between uh, myself and others, particular dynamics in them. And and seeing those dreams at that time, then I felt like, oh, right, <laughs> I see. <laughs> and that gave me actually a lot of, you know, a kind of gut feeling like, I don't know if you've ever seen Groundhog Day or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I saw this movie because you know, mostly we don't watch movies, but somebody said, this is a Buddhist movie, you have to see it. <laughs> and, uh, you can tell how long ago because they brought the video cassette uh, to, <laughs> uh, to watch this movie. And um, <clears throat> sure enough, second time, third time around, you start to realize there's a pattern here, uh, something similar going on over and over again. And then you want to, you want to get out of it. The wish, to, the wish to change it, to break the cycle, to not do the same thing over and over again that's, that's dysfunctional, or that is like the, the binding point in that relationship or that dynamic, it naturally arises, at least for me, then this feeling of like, oh, in the gut. It's like, oh, as if, as if there were dog poo-poo on the sidewalk in the same place every day. And it's like you, you realize, I just keep stepping in this every single day. Let me not put my foot down in that spot today one more time. And then you're like, squish. Oh, yikes. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and what it's going to take to wash that off and all day long. <laughs> and oh, no, still some fragrance. And isn't that supposed to be like, you know, it says it's lavender soap. Why does it still smell? <laughs> and um, and he then. Into that, it was like lucid dreaming because the next time he came along with it, well, yeah, yeah, this is the thing. He started to make effort then, you know, started to think about, okay, how can I, what can I do differently? What can I do differently to break the cycle? And I think that's something that when we start to see the patterns, you know, whether or not we're having past life memories and lucid dreaming or not, 
when we start to see these kinds of patterns, that kind of feeling can come up and can be like, oh, ugh. And then the strength can rise in you also, the determination, the, the will to make effort, to find out, you know, to gather your resources and find out what, what can I do? What will work for this? How can I do differently? How can I not fall down into this rut over and over again? So when I was in university, um, I took a course, one course that was then called biopsychology. And uh, uh, later it came to be known as brain science. And now I think it's called neuroscience. Uh, So neuropsychology or, or neurobiology. So I learned, uh, have, have learned a little bit about, um, what is it, these in our body, the roadways, the tracks of these habit patterns and their, their loops, how they manifest in the body. And for someone who practices mindfulness meditation and mindfulness of the body, they may become aware of that, you know, how with a thought, you know, how, how the patterning is working in the body. Sometimes for some of the meditators, you can even see the, the patterns in the brain and uh, like the, you know, the lights passing in the brain. And, and, and most everyone has had a moment where it's like there's this connection and you see the light, you literally do. And there's aha, yes, happening in our, in our, what is it, in our neurology in in our brain and um, this is one of the things contemporary science tells us like His Holiness the Dalai Lama and these great scientists work with Mind and Life, the Mind and Life Institute Uh, those who practice mindfulness and insight meditation uh, particularly develop more of these pathways in their brain and their brain through their whole body not only their brain in their head and it helps to be able to see around a subject and to see it from different angles and different ways. And that helps us not get so stuck on a certain point of view, a certain pathway. It means there are lots of options. You have lots of choices. There are many different ways that you can respond. There are many different ways that you can see this. And many different ways that you can choose. You can choicefully respond to it. And so, how many people here do Google searching? (laughs) Or use of a different search engine? If Google is not your favorite, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So, it's like like using your your search engine in terms of how you're going to see something. So, you put something in, and then there's all this stuff that comes up. And if it's the kind of thing that you are looking for, you know, maybe you have to look down. Maybe it's not the first thing. First thing will be your most ingrained habit. Yeah, but maybe that's not the wisest choice. Maybe that's not the best thing. So you have to take one more second or five more seconds to look down and see what else, what else is there that may work better in this situation in terms of how I'm seeing it and how I'm going to choose to respond to it. And maybe there's nothing there and you have to add in another word, like maybe you'd like to add with mindfulness or with compassion or with kindness or with integrity or with what else would you like to add with patience with honesty and you plug that back into it and it takes you know sometimes a fraction of a second to say no this thing that's so important 
is not it's not there none of these things look good what if i were to see it with honesty with integrity with patience with mindfulness with compassion with loving kindness with whatever word you would like to add back into this that's the right one for you right at that time that that's is that that blessed and needed quality that's going to bring up the other things the other possibilities so when you plug that back in and you give a moment or two to that then it comes up you know, there, there are whole other possibilities that come up. And then to, you know, choose, choose from there, yeah? And this practice of meditation, this practice of mindfulness, gives us just that fraction of a second more. Even just that, it's like opening up the time and knowing our own body and mind just a little bit more that allows for that window of opportunity to be able to do exactly that to be able to stop and to you know put that one more thing in before the words come out of your mouth before you're acting you know it, to be able to pause and to do that it actually works really fast maybe the other person doesn't even know that you've paused or maybe you need to say i need to take a minute or two and you do and that makes it so different it makes all the difference in the world or i need to get back to you after and then you give time for the process, the time, the time that you need, you know, to have the love and kindness and compassion and integrity and patience and, you know, respect for yourself, care for yourself and others, because it affects both, very much affects both, uh, to, to be able to do that. So this is a very important part of it. Your sitting meditation practice, whether it's two or three minutes or five minutes or 20 minutes, and whether it's every day of the week and twice a day, or whether it's three times a week or once a week, uh, together with a group, that, that will allow you that possibility as you develop it. That, that allows you that space which makes really all the difference in the world in terms of where the things are going to go. Because past lives are one thing, whether we know them or not. But we're living this right now. And what we're doing right now is making our future. Each step we're walking into it, and we are the ones who are living this experience of it right now. So number one, that creates our own experience of this life. No matter what anybody else says about life, you know, it's all basically pie in the sky in a way because your own experience is the only one that you've got. That's your life. That's it. And this, it, it wisely uh, and caringly uh, affects our, our own experience of our life. So when I wasn't quite 20 years old, that there were some people who told me that I looked like I was 40. Maybe they were joking with me, maybe not. But uh, they, they, <laughs> they, there were people who said that. Like, oh, you look a lot older than you are, you know. And I felt like kind of heavy, he- kind of darkness or heaviness in me. Now I can look back and say that because it's like after you've taken off your backpack, then you feel light, right? <laughs> so looking back can say that because I feel that, you know, so much more of that sense of, of lightness now, lightness of being or lightness of spirit in, in comparison. So by the time then I got to 40, then people were saying, 
pretty near the opposite. <laughs> so a big turnaround. <laughs> big turnaround there. I feel that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that it came easy. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of work, and often it's the really the the difficult things of of life and being with them. You know, with ourselves, with our loved ones, with the circumstances that are the the grist, that are the the place where the you know the the place where the what is it the uh, rubber hits the road exactly. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about the what is it the doo-doo on the sidewalk again, and thinking about fans, but. Um, that would be a different different type of analogy that would be back from this period of time, right? But I mean, what I mean by that is the place the place where it's happening, and uh, often that's you know what what it comes down to when the going is uh, is is getting tough. But it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be. I think the Buddha taught um, taught a lot of was it prophylactic. Preventative medicine. Preventative medicine. Yeah. So, and this is the thing that our, our, our blessed and dear parents, in all of their compassion, will generally try to teach us. The stove is hot. Don't put your hand in it. Right? Don't do that. Stop. It's hot. You'll burn yourself. Right? <laughs> and still, many times we have to do it anyway. For some things, though, we can hear that. We can look and see what's going on in the world and see what's going on with other people and do work that can be done, like with death, for example. Uh, I'm not sure how many of us have been sick or are going to get sick. I'm really sure, though, that every single one of us is going to die. And we're on our way there right now. <laughs> uh, we're already, what is it, like one hour closer than when we started the meditation uh, earlier on. And that could be a really disconcerting thought if we haven't made friends with it, if we haven't made peace with it, if we haven't done that kind of prophylactic or preventative or preparatory work, you know, looking looking into that and being, being with it, allowing ourselves to see and know and, and be with. Uh, what's going on, rather than, you know, the the hearse with the, what is it, the casket has all its layers, and then it's really thick and heavy, and then it's got these really strong, looks like stainless steel bolts on it, you know, on all sides, to just let you know it's really securely closed. <laughs> and, and then you put it inside the hearse, and it's got dark, it's really thick and heavy walled, it's got dark glass, then you put curtains over it, <laughs> and then you close it again with a heavy bolt. And it's maybe several of them, two or three, and and, and then lock. So, I mean, this is a really popular way to do it, yeah. And that's like to protect, to protect the the mind, the heart that is that is not there yet, that is not prepared, that's not ready, for which it's too hard, it's too difficult, and to try to you know all that cushioning and all those locks to cushion, to lock, to protect. Um, but for who gives the time and the care beforehand when we have the chance to do that, don't need to. Don't need to do all that. Yeah, It's like that extra hundred 
dollars. You may not, you may not need to spend on that. You may be able to just be, be together with and find how beautiful, how profound, what an amazing and transformative experience this is for me and also for, you know, for the other. What an incredibly beautiful thing. Why would anyone want to miss that? Why would anyone not want to not, not be there? Yeah, such a profound and an incredible thing. And you know, aging also, also there is. I know it's really out of vogue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> aging is, <laughs> and yet all of us are doing it. It's like, oh. <laughs> if we could put dark glass and put a curtain over it <laughs> and lock it and make it so that we, you know, we didn't we didn't see it and didn't have to experience it, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we try to? And we do try to. You know, it's covered over and <laughs> all these kinds of things and uh, sickness as well, like not to be talked about sometimes. And uh, if one has their self-respect, what is what is not self-respecting about every single one of us in here? I pretty much guarantee we all have at least one medical condition, if not several of them. Yes, normally over age 50, the, the list can become like, you know, 40 lines on a piece of paper is enough or not. <laughs> Please briefly list your medical history. You have to think, well, what to include, what not to include. <laughs> I could write an essay. I could write a whole book. <laughs> I could write several volumes of books for most of us. For many of us, you know, that's, that's average, that's normal. And, you know, why would a self-respecting person deny and hide that from, from anybody? What is that? You know, so kind of bizarre, yeah? And to be with that, the Buddha called these divine messengers, the sickness, aging, and death, as well as the sight of a contemplative. Oh, these, those four are called, uh, called divine messengers. And, you know... Uh, marks of of great opportunity, the opportunity to to stop, be present, look, see what's actually going on for our heart, our life, our world to our world view to open, be able to shift. Um, so wonderful things. So you know, I don't know so much about past lives. The the times that I thought maybe I, I was seeing some past life thing or things would make sense in general. I believe that things don't happen without cause, that things don't happen without reason. And in the Buddha's teaching, we find short and middle-term and long-term causation happening. It's laid out like that. You know, sometimes that short-term, they'll say that this is this life and the middle-term is like next life and, and long-term is like many lives from now. I've looked at the suttas about this and you know, that it mentions the generally often mentions the, the really sh- like immediate causation like if I pick this up and I this is a, maybe a sacred object um, so excuse me uh, if I picked it up and say opened my hands both of them that I expect short-term causation it would fall and then there's going to be this ripple effect going through you know, amongst the, the bodies and minds of the people here and this kind of thing and may even be some after effect, especially if I break some, you know, pricey Japanese lacquer and uh, then like, you know, this is, you broke something worth $500 and destroyed temple property. And, um, so uh, it's like causation happening, happening immediately and over time. And uh, I, I really believe uh, nothing, nothing happens without cause. Nothing happens without reason. 
so what what exactly the long-term causes are for all kinds of things, I'm, I'm not, not completely sure. I try to look at, particularly if I can see and know that something is a cause of suffering, and to really mark that and see, can I stop that? Can I do something else? And particularly to look and see and know if I find something to be a cause of my own joy, happiness, well-being, and the freeing and liberation of my heart. And if I see that something or some group of conditions are that, then like, how can I develop this? And really mark that well and work with it like that. In the Noble Eightfold Path, this kind of perspective is called right view in terms of causation like that, and then doing that is called right effort. So right mindfulness is a key factor because without the mindfulness, you're not going to be able to match up, what is it, that, that view, that intention, and, and applying it to the circumstance is not going to happen. The mindfulness, the awareness gets you there, and it gets you the time to be able to do it. Yeah. So it doesn't pass by like already gone too fast, already said it, already did it, already stepped in it. Yeah. So any other question? Oh, I wanted to mention, um, Sarah had said uh, something about the uh, ordination for women in Buddhism. Um, I just wanted to mention this is particularly for the, the Theravada Buddhist order. Uh, the, the Chinese and Korean and Vietnamese traditions of full ordination for both women and men and you know, really equal opportunity in monastic life, uh, in, in training, education, ordination, uh, being able to have product, uh, projects, uh, service projects, teaching, leadership, all of that, all, all there for both men and women. Uh, this tradition lapsed in Theravada Buddhism. It's often said for a thousand years. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, being a historian, it seems to me like actually not, you know, not so long, but a thousand years sounds glamorous. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's like if you say, maybe it was 278 years in this country, mm-hmm. and it was 392 years in that country, and, and here it happened only when the Americans came. And then <laughs> what happened there? And don't know, not so long ago. Um, so we, we actually find, uh, like in, in countries like Burma, there are records of there being fully ordained uh, women monastics, even like bishops, women bishops in Buddhism, up to the time of the British, beginning of British rule. And what happened, I don't know. I wondered, you know, what? I couldn't find a thing about it. It's like, what happened? <laughs> so the West happened. Um, what were we doing at that time that, that caused that? Or, or was it something else? I don't know. Not sure, but you know, not, not so long ago. But now many people believe they, they never had it. It's like out of sight, out of mind for you know, one or two hundred years, and, uh, and then you, know, you forget. Forget it's possible. And people will tell you, we, we, never, we never had that. Very strange thing. We, we've never had it, never done it. Kind of like with something a little similar in Christianity. Although for Buddhism, no one will debate, or almost no one will debate, whether the Buddha actually ordained both women and men, whether there was you know, such a monastic community, whether there weren't women 
great disciples, foremost disciples of the Buddha, uh, both monastic and lay women. Uh, in the Pali text tradition, there's the tradition of the 13 great bhikkhuni, it's monastic disciples of the Buddha, uh, great, two of them great leaders of the, of the Sangha, teachers, uh, highly commended by the Buddha, and 10 lay women among uh, the Buddha's leading disciples who he really like singled out, pointed out as uh, exemplars of the, the practice and you know, capable of teaching and sharing with others uh, who, who are fully considered the Buddha's heirs. So for the gents here and, and for everyone, uh, there were also laymen, also male monastics. Yes, so not excluded in this in any way. Um, sometimes I fall into the error um, as the, the male, male disciples of the Buddha, um, many male monastics uh, will, will often speak about them because they've learned their stories and that kind of thing, and they might forget to talk about the women. And for me, sometimes then I, I highlight the women, and, and inadvertently I forget to talk about the men. <laughs> so it's like, excuse me, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm falling into the same mistake on the opposite side. So I have to, have to be sure not to do that. Because I think the Buddha's idea, and this is stated explicitly, is that everyone should be able to see an example of someone who has well and thoroughly, you know, deeply practiced this path and is able to communicate that to others and that that example be someone that they're able to feel some kind of identity with. And if we have any sense of gender identity, then someone of one's own gender, if we have a calling to monastic life or we don't, and we're clear we don't, then, you know, to be able to identify there is this, you know, wonderful, wonderful teacher here who is not a monastic, who has practiced so deeply and well and is able to speak about the Dhamma so, so beautifully if one does have the calling as, as a monastic because of the sense of identity, you know, then, then seeing someone of one's, of one's own gender, for many people, can be a great facility. It's like a great, great encouragement. So the Buddha spoke about all four of these as his, uh, as his heirs, yes. So I just wanted to emphasize, you know, not, that wasn't so for all of Buddhism, but particularly for Theravada Buddhism. And I've, I've served as a preceptor in ordaining women into the, into the Theravada tradition which, uh, you know, they all, all branch out from the Buddha and uh, largely now, you know, mixed with various cultures. So if you think about Tibetan Buddhism, quite mixed with Tibetan culture, if you see this beautiful place here, I mean, these characters up there, how many can read them? Mm-hmm. I can read that. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, mixed with, in this case, mixed with beautiful Japanese Buddhist culture. And, uh, you know, together, together with the Western church culture and form, yeah? Um, So it's like encased in a way in the culture. And then we we have the movements also in the United States really, really, really growing that are meaning, you know, intending to take the, the kernel or the, the essence or the, you know, the, the heart of the teaching and the practice out and uh, out of the cult- enculturations and just share that. Yeah. means just, just that which works well for us. So this is a part of what I was talking about in the beginning. I went to all these fantastic cultural environments, and yet, finally, what do I come back to? Is this this body and mind, yeah, wherever 
24/7 every day. With, with this, this is the this is the ground of it, yeah. And what what really works and what doesn't work. So, I want to welcome that other question. Are you here till seven or seven thirty? Just seven. Seven, I see. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you talk about uh, you know things happen for a reason and how. What do you think about karma? About karma. Now, see, this is the thing. We've got karma and rebirth here. <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, I, I was asked to teach at one of the big meditation centers in California recently. And uh, uh, so karma and rebirth is like one of the big controversial subjects. So when I was asked to teach, then they, I, I asked you, what would you like me to teach on? What would you like me to speak on? And, and the, one of the lead teachers of that big meditation uh, center there then wrote back to me so smartly and so kind of cutely. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe he'll hear this at some time. Uh, <laughs> that, like, if you can deal with women's ordination, can you talk about karma and rebirth? <laughs> It's like already you're talking about the unspeakable. <laughs> I was hearing about the, reading something this morning about the new pope, and it's like, is this going to be on the agenda or not, the women's ordination thing? And the, the letter that I was reading is an announcement, this is not going to be on the agenda. <laughs> and we want things to be smooth. We don't want all that controversy and this kind of thing. So they were like, okay, if you've been able to tackle women's ordination, are you up for karma and rebirth? <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, so I was happy to. Uh, and uh, I would invite you, if you go to, um, I'm not sure where they are, but I think there are some pamphlets and cards uh, that are here. And if, if you were to, just because it's just coming up on 7, and it's such a fascinating, really fascinating and interesting and valuable subject, I think. Uh, and I'm so glad that there's such interest in it because I think it's a really important one and not, you know, actually there's so much sidestepping going on with it because of like different views and controversy, but I think it, it is actually good to look at and to consider well and and not to be like either just I'm going to be faithful and believe this particular thing or no way and against and that's not part of my world, my life, my thought, not me. And, you know, neither, I would suggest neither of those, if possible, if if you can, but to actually, you know, to look into what's there. So if you pick up one of those cards or pamphlets on the back there uh, and you see tamadrini.net, uh, anyway, starts with a D, and Dhamma is the first word, so you may be able to recognize it. Uh, if you see that website, and uh, if you were to remember even IFT, even that, yes, you would be able to get a link for uh, recordings of talks on this very subject. And I try to speak about it in uh, like a really practical and accessible way. And these are available on our website for free. Don't don't think I'm not advertising for a, a for-pay site for you to for you to come to, but um, uh, completely offered freely and uh, in the privacy of your own home with your headphones or whatever. You can you can turn off whenever you want to if it's boring or not interesting, and uh, I won't ever know about it. <laughs> uh, 
And so I, I would like to I would like to offer that to you and invite you to to take a look at that. I think there are three talks on this subject, and it may be that there's some Q and A there on it too. And I found I found the Q and A really interesting. And so uh, welcome welcome to take a look and uh, listen. And um, so please know I'm not trying to sidestep your question, only because of being two minutes to seven or looking, looking like that and out of respect for your, your own schedule and your plans and, uh, and, and your time. So if I were to come back here in the future, if you would like to, if you listen to this and then you think, oh, we would like to have a talk on this subject, I would be happy to offer one. Yeah, gladly, would gladly. Um, this time here now, I was actually scheduled to be at a seminar at Shravasti Abbey that was canceled and rescheduled. But I had this time free. And I thought, why not open it up for being able to, for these invitations that have been there and uh, uh, for, for this place that I used to live that, you know, I hold in my heart and memory as, as home, as part of, you know, really an important part of my growing up, this land here. And so beautiful to come back through the snow mountains and the broad, vast Alpine desert and the Ponderosa, all of it. I just so, so delighted to, uh, to, to be back here. And I would be happy to have the excuse to come back. Again. So, we're, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> That's very nice. So, uh, and you could you could advertise it, and I'm happy happy to have debate <laughs> about it. This is one of the things in my time with Korean Zen. We had uh, what was called Dharma combat, and uh, doesn't doesn't involve any swords or even saying nasty things to each other, but just you you just get to you get to say what you think and get to like call one another on the on the things and uh, so I have I have familiarity with that and I, I have an appreciation for it particularly with regards to these kinds of subjects, so all welcome. Yeah, let uh, let Mary and uh, and Sarah put together the kind of program that you'd really be interested in. I'm happy to do it. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yes, sure. Um, mm, before that, um, I think that uh, I just want to really to to appreciate. Uh, each one of you turning up here this evening and this space being here for everybody uh, held for us to be able to get together and do what we feel is well for us for our lives and uh, the support that uh, having such a space and uh, and others doing that, uh, that 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 is for us and I just want to wish you well in your path and in your practice, and wish every good blessing to you in it. Uh, please persevere. Uh, I've seen over time that going at it and uh, with with the good advice that's there, it really bears good fruit. Uh, far different, really, than I ever imagined, and uh, I feel like it's worth it. It is. Uh, it's completely worth it. It is worth being alive as a human being, and uh, you know, getting up every day and doing all of these things for, for what we can experience uh, in human life on this path. So I wish you every good blessing with this, and uh, look forward to, to seeing you again if there isn't again. Our, uh, wish you well all the way uh, to the the end of your path to the 
great and final peacefulness of, uh, of Nibbana. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.